Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Optisport Football Podcast for the season 23-24. With Mark Schwarzer absent this week, it's me, Phil Kittramelides at the helm. With a newcomer, John McKenzie from TIFO at The Athletic, joins us for the very first time on the podcast. Uh, hello, John. Welcome to your first episode of the Optusport Football Podcast. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. I'm not used to um, actually podcasting at this early hour, so let's see how my brain holds up. Okay, fingers crossed um, you're, you're in good shape at this, this early hour. Um, John's a newcomer, very much not a newcomer to the podcast, is Michael Bridges. Hello, Bridgie. Good morning from a very cold England and it's great to be back with yourself at the helm because Swartz is absolutely useless at hosting this, Phil. And I do believe that you might be a little bit dusty and I've got to wish you all the best and congratulations, mate. Happy 40th birthday (laughs) over the weekend. You are slowly catching me and Mark up. Uh, yeah, slowly but surely I'm getting there. Thank you very much. Uh, it was my it was my 40th birthday on Sunday, and I was treated um, to two absolutely brilliant games that I watched. I watched Man City Tottenham, and then I watched Barcelona against Atletico Madrid, and they were two really really good games. Um, so yeah, I felt very very lucky to be uh, blessed with a, a magnificent game uh, of uh, football to uh, watch and enjoy on a special day. Speaking of magnificent games of football. Let's start talking about Man City against Spurs, which finished 3-3 at the Etihad. Spurs continuing their really good run against Manchester City. They're fast becoming City's bogey team. Um, The way they got something out of this game, though, was a little bit different to the way that they've done it in previous years, obviously. Uh, Perhaps against Antonio, without uh, Antonio Conte at the helm, they would have had very little possession and tried to hit Manchester City on the break. And that is not what they did at the Etihad. They went there, they didn't change their style. And if you were to look up Ange Ball in the dictionary, maybe you'd just get the highlights of this game because it was a full Ange Ball at the Etihad, wasn't it, John? Yeah, it was a it was a really exciting game. Um, although interesting that you say we didn't get Antonio Conte ball. Actually, the first goal was very reminiscent of yeah. what we saw under Antonio Conte because uh, yeah, a quick break from a corner, um, which saw Spurs score their first chance on target, and that was the that was the the ins and outs of what we saw in um, the wins that they've picked up in the with the last few managers. So, uh, but as you say, very much uh, a blueprint of of Ange ball this with with lots of build up, lots of deep build up, even under. Intense pressure, pressure often from Manchester City, um, and despite that, no change in plan from the Spurs players. They retained their, um, their their bravery under that pressure, moving the ball down the field. And actually, the final goal came from just one of those moments where uh, they they held onto the ball, moved it through the Manchester City pressure, and were able to get the ball into Kulusevski, who got a, a famous equaliser. So yeah. Um, Ange Postacoglu, very famous for saying, "I'm not going to change the way that we play," and uh, that was very much in operation at the weekend. I don't think anyone expected him to change the way that they play, Bridget, right? We, we knew what was going to happen, surely. Yeah, all day long. And very, very rarely goes away from his vision, his style of play and his philosophy because he almost sees it as, as defeat. Um, he, he's had a very, very successful career. 
uh, playing this Ange ball, this style of high pressing and the intensity levels, and he was never going to change it. And I'm delighted that he didn't. Uh, we we knew he wouldn't, and you've you've seen the benefits. I mean, that to go toe to toe with Man City and get that result with the with the personnel that were missing as well. We've said, you know, he was coming off the back of three losses. Uh, it was very tough since that Chelsea game, so it was a it was a huge huge moment. And if anybody was going to knew they were going to be in for a tough task, it was Pep Guardiola because Pep has complimented Ange Postecoglou in the past. They met when Ange was the manager um, of Yokohama Marinos in the J League in a pre-season game and Pep came out afterwards and oh my God, we have just been hassled and mm-hmm. rushed and almost ran off the field um, by this style of play. So he knew he knew what was going to come. It could have been so different first half, mind. There was a lot of chances for City that they created um, and squandered, especially with Haaland. He didn't expect it. Uh, but I loved the comment after the game, Phil. What I've got to say is there was Kulusevsky got interviewed and he said, you know what it is, I got a right telling off at half-time. And then Ange came on and he said, well, I didn't actually tell him off, but I can't use many words that I use in the dressing room. Now, I know he would have been screaming and bawling, but what Ange would have been saying, there's a difference between having to go at your players with bad language and actually saying, go out there and believe in yourselves, in the style of play, because I think they felt a little bit underdone and didn't feel like they had the the quality to control that game and keep the ball and play the Ange ball. And when they came out second half and Ange had given them that little lecture and basically uh, it's like a momentum boost and and good for the mindset. They came out and just showed showed what they are capable of doing. So it was a huge, huge uh, result at the end of the day at the Etihad. And um, fair play, Kulusevsky, you've just mentioned there, John, his goal at the end. I don't think it was the most glitzy and glamour of headers because it came off his shoulder, but it went in the back of the net. And um, yeah, fair play to Ange and Tottenham Hotspur for coming out with that result. It does feel like this was a big result, not just because you know, they got a point away to the champions, but also mentally for the, everyone to sort of buy into what, what's going on, coming off the back of those three defeats and three defeats in really quite painful circumstances. We, we know what happened in the Chelsea game. We know what happened in the Wolves game where they conceded twice very late on. And the Aston Villa game, they could have scored five or six and ended up losing. So to come off the back of that run go to the champions, go toe-to-toe with them and get something out of the game, playing the way that they did. I think mentally the team will be really reinforced, no? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think the one, the standout for me as well was Les Elso. Um, Ange Pascal a few weeks back said, your opportunities to, to showcase what you're available for and what you, I forgot he'd even been there. Um, <laughs> and he popped up and, and it was a, a tremendous, tremendous goal. So you would have been chuffed a bit with that. But tactically, John, what did you, what did you make of um, both teams going into this one? Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting game in terms of particularly the build-up because in the in the first half, Spurs were using particularly a single pivot. So they were um, they were using, um, as we know, Yves Basuma as their as their single pivot, and they were really getting pressed quite uh, aggressively by Man City, who are matching them up pretty much player for player. Uh, but in the second half, they they brought on. Pierre-Emil Hoiberg um, sat him alongside um, Basuma and it just gave them a little bit more flexibility in the um, in the build-up phase. They actually ended up with more um, possession in the second half than they did in the first half and it just it, it gave them a little bit more leeway to do the stuff that they were trying to do. So yeah, again, you know, lots of perhaps lots of swearing in the in the halftime team talk, but also a little bit of uh, tactical nous in there from Ange as well. Uh, we're talking about a, a Tottenham perspective, not just because Bridgie and I happen to be Spurs fans, and this is an Australian podcast for an Australian audience, so there is an Australian at the helm of Tottenham, but we should talk about City as well, and, and, and how frustrated is Guardiola going to be with this uh, result, John? How, how frustrated is he that his team are conceding a lot of goals at the moment? They don't seem to be able to control games. 
Yeah, it's a tough one because I think, uh, you, you know, as an analyst, I'll often check out the underlying numbers to see, you, you know, the quality of the chances created. And, and this is another game where they've come away with dropping points, despite the fact that they've actually, uh, as 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 uh, Michael pointed out earlier they generated enough chances to put this one to bed uh, we saw Julian Alvarez hitting hitting the uh, the, the the post um, when they were at 2-1 up if that goes in you know you'd, you would feel as though City would have the quality to just carry that one through um, and they've come off the back of a few results as well where they've dropped points where you know in a in another timeline not that far away they they pick up all three points and they're sitting top of the Premier League at the moment. So games against Chelsea, um, even the game against Arsenal, which was a you know a very tetchy affair that ended up going Arsenal's way, that could have gone the other way, uh, not too difficultly. And uh, I think they're in this, this they're in this sort of moment at the moment where they're they're sort of variancing badly on every pos- every available possibility. And you know we all know that Man City they come into the the second half of seasons and they they go into those incredible tears where you just don't think they're ever going to lose a game ever again uh, but this season it does feel a little bit different we've seen them lose a couple of games already um, which is uh, you know very unlikely for them I think um, across the Pep Guardiola era they've 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 lost between four and five games a season on average across that whole time so already well within that that sort of um, uh, range this at this early point in the season so yeah I think that, that there's a lot going on with, with, with City as you've mentioned they do look a little bit um, open in terms of the the, the defence. Um, again, I mentioned the the Chelsea game as well. Both the Chelsea game and this game, um, they had the chance to just hold out for three points going into the, the last ten minutes of the games, and they've not managed to do that. And you know they can beat themselves up and say, well, you know we're pretty low uh, low low possibility of of losing those games, but you still have to make those defensive mistakes to uh, allow opponents back in and Pep Guardiola will be lying awake at night thinking about that the sort of manager he is he lies awake at night worrying about you know his his rest defense and and teams hitting them on the counter um so yeah it's it, it's setting this season up to be a real banger of a title challenge so i think it, in that respect from 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 the neutral point of view and from the point of view of fans who are at teams where they are challenging for the title it, it makes for a really fun uh, season going into the second half of it but um yeah I, I think that pep will probably feel a little bit aggrieved to be in such a maybe well not not even in the top two at this point of the season and I've got to pull my hands up and say apologies to Manchester City listeners and Jack Grealish lovers um, I did have a go at him a few weeks ago just you know Doku was given Manchester City a whole new lease of life he looks fantastic going forward and he, he you know he hit the crossbar on the post and one, one opportunity and he got unfortunately got injured and the man that I said you know I haven't enjoyed watching him of late for Manchester City he came up with the goods he got himself a goal and I think that's exactly what Jack needed you know the, the celebration when he scored he, he all his teammates ran off to one side and then Jack decided you know what it is I owe this moment to Haaland he, he ran back over to celebrate with Haaland uh, and so yeah fair play to him it's good to see him back on the score sheet I'm a, I am a big fan of Jack I like him but I just see the way that he's gone from Aston Villa style of play and he's learnt a new style under Pep Guardiola to take him into a new stratosphere I think tactically and understanding the game more but I just haven't seen the, the Jack Grealish creating chances and scoring enough goals that I wanted to see but there you go humble pie eaten by Mr Bridges for all you um, City and Jack Grealish lovers because I've got a bit of stick fill on Twitter. I'm not surprised. Not for the first time also, <laughs> uh, Bridgie. Uh, speaking of Jack Grealish, he could have had another goal because there was a little bit of controversy at the end of this game when Erling Haaland 
had the ball, um, seemingly got fouled in the middle of the park, shrugged off the challenge and played Jack Grealish through on goal. And the referee looked like he'd played the advantage and then blew the whistle. It's a really, really strange sequence. Obviously, Manchester City and Erling Haaland in particular, absolutely furious at what happened. I mean, the, the referee's just made a mistake here. It's made a big mistake, isn't it? There, there's, there's nothing else. There's no other explanation. Phil, it's, I've got to say, it's it's a disgrace. Um, I thought he had an unbelievable <laughs> match. I can't. Uh, what was the name of the referee? I should have I should have known this because um, I was shouting him. Simon Hooper. Simon Hooper, thank you. I was calling him a lot worse on the TV screen, even though it was against Tottenham Hotspur, <laughs> Phil. It was not a good decision because you've initially gone to see him blow the whistle for the foul. He hasn't. He's played on. And the ball over the top from Haaland, I don't know how Haaland's actually got up from a tackle and being able to play that pass, in all honesty, because it, it because is Because he's just, a cyborg, Bridgie. He's eh, a well, cyborg. We I, know that. I'm going to have to look back at yeah. it because there's something amiss how he's managed to do it. And Jack is in on goal and he's actually got two or three yards of time in the run. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, here we go. It's a counter-attack goal in the last minute and he blew the whistle. So I was I was really happy. But when you look back at it, it's, it's disgusting um, that that was allowed to happen. And it takes a lot to get Haaland. You know, I played with Alfie's dad at Leeds and he was the most relaxed guy in the world the only time I ever saw anything happen was between him and Roy Keane that obviously escalated very very quickly over seasons it do- takes a lot to get them angry and the way Haaland reacted you can tell he was absolutely fuming because he knows it was a, the wrong decision then the one where Pep Guardiola stand next to the fourth official and he's trying to get an explanation the fourth official's blatantly looking at anywhere else he can because he knows it's the wrong decision um, that that just tells it for me. So yeah, Tottenham got away with one there, and um, very very lucky it was. A, it, but it was a shocking decision. There's nothing you do about it. The only explanation I could come up with is that was maybe there was quite a few players in between the referee and uh, Grealish, and he didn't realise that he was necessarily through in on goal. But a yeah, very so. Spursy answer there from Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, it's definitely the wrong decision. Definitely the wrong decision. But yeah, uh, we d- listen. We don't like to talk about referees too much on the podcast, but obviously we we had to mention it because it was a big, big yeah. uh, moment uh, in the uh, in the game. All right, that was um that was a really quite epic game, and I think we've had. We've had quite a few of those uh, in the Premier League this season and indeed this weekend because there were some really terrific matches, loads of goals, loads of drama, uh, loads of entertainment. And it's all kind of um, bringing it all together nicely, shall we say, in terms of the uh, top four, in terms of the, uh, the, the title race as well. If you look at the table, six points separating the top five. Arsenal, two points clear of Liverpool, uh, who uh, have got City uh, a further point back. And Aston Villa in fourth as well, ahead of Spurs, who are in fifth. So six points separating those five teams. It is, um, it's, it's working up very nicely to the title race. Um, John, what are your feelings at this point after, after 14, um, 14 match days? Uh, who's in pole position for the title? Is it as open as it looks? Is there anyone else who's going to be getting involved? This is not a very analytical answer, but I've got a, I've got a, just a funny feeling that City aren't going to win the league this this season. Now, <laughs> I've already mentioned. Like, forget all your metrics. Forget all the stats. Funny <laughs> yeah. feelings is what we like. Yes, funny good. feeling. Yeah, um, we've we've already said that, that. I mean, I've already said that many many times in the past we've been made to look silly by thinking that Man City are off the the, the top of the table. Therefore, they're not going to win the league. Um, I guess the case in point was last season where it, it looked as though Arsenal, for all intents and purposes, were going to win the league um, so yeah I'm, I'm fully aware of the fact that what will happen in the second half of the season is that Pep will find his his big solution as he always does uh, and that will carry them through to, to a win but this season it just feels as though there the, the are strong contenders in, in, the, in the league um, 
despite the fact that we've spent a lot of time, I think, talking about how weak the the bottom three are potentially, I feel as though above that, um, the, you know, anyone can take points off anyone, um, and that that will spread the the points around. It's a it's a difficult uh, league to win this season, and we have those contenders in in Liverpool and Arsenal from very different directions. Liverpool with a with an overpowered attack uh, and maybe defensively a little bit uh, a little bit shaky, uh, and then on the other hand, um, we've got Arsenal who don't look like they're ever going to concede a goal, um, even if they don't ever. Look like they're going to score a goal either at the at the other end. So it, it's really setting up to be quite a quite a fun title title run as we as we're going in. Um, is it going to be attack that's going to win the day? Is it going to be defence that's going to be win the day? Or is it going to be Man City sort of okay attacking, okay defending, winning the day? So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how it unfolds. John, can I just ask you about um about Aston Villa? Because uh, in the uh, the preseason podcast we did, I was very excited to see uh, Villa under Unai Emery. I tipped them to maybe be challenging for uh, for top four. I don't know. Are they exceeding your expectations? Did you did you think that they'd be there or thereabouts? Obviously, their away form is considerably worse than their than their home form. But what are your feelings on Villa at the moment? Yeah, Villa are an interesting team. I think Villa are a team where we talk about game state a lot. And what I mean by game state is uh, that you, you know the situation that you're in during a game that can impact the way that that teams are playing. So, for example, if you're up in games or down in games it can change the way that you approach those games and Villa seem to be very much a game state team whereby uh, if you look at I think four of the the away losses that they've had they've conceded goals in the first six minutes of those games and they've just not been able to get back into them really um and I think that's what we're that's what we're seeing from Villa is that if they get ahead in games they can often carry them through and 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 look uh, really really comfortable um, but if they go behind then that's when the problems are going to arise so I think you know in terms of what Unai Emery's achieved it's an, just an, an amazing turn turnaround in form um, he's got them looking so so dangerous um, but I think that in terms of the actual title challenge I think that they're, they're probably not going to be quite consistent enough in order to uh, stay in that race I think that the, the big question for them is can they get top four and uh, you know there's a real possibility that they they could they could achieve Champions League football. Bridgie how's your tip for the, t- the title Brighton doing? <laughs> Thank you, Phil. That's kind of fallen by the wayside, hasn't it? Um, they're all, listen, they're a only a, they're only eleven points off top. That's that that is doable, mate. They could have a, an unbelievable surge. Uh, no, it's. I think that is gone. I got very very excited when we saw them play against Manchester United um, and turn it on um, because I didn't realise how poor Manchester United were going to be this season. So I think it was kind of um, it was it was over over excited. But I, I still enjoy watching the way they play. Uh, they've got the European challenge on their hands as well, which is a new a new um, challenge for them. As all all teams that have found out this season, uh, keeping your numbers and your and your players fit and ready for them games. Newcastle have struggled with that as well, with the extra travel and the extra game load. So um, yeah, I take it back, Phil. They're they're not in. But what I will agree with John, it's going to be so exciting to see this season unfold because there is so many teams in the mix, and I'm absolutely delighted nobody's running away with it. It's making it so so exciting from, I would say, 12th up over towards the top half of the table. It's going to be magnificent. And um, like John was saying, anybody can be anybody in in this moment. Uh, and I feel for the teams that are now in the bottom three that have, you know, the t- or the teams that have come up because the gap is getting so much bigger. But what I am in- excited, that most of them teams that are running around that mix at the top, your Arsenal, Liverpool, City, Villa, Tottenham, Newcastle, the top six, I would say, are playing so so attacking and exciting football. Manchester United, you can count out, they've been so lucky. I couldn't even believe that they were in seventh after seeing, you know, they've got some, McTominay came on and saved them late on in the game um, against Brentford. 
But you know, Brighton um, have been enjoyable to watch as well. So yeah, it's it's, be, it's very very exciting. And like you say, as long as the footballs, you're going to get goals. That's one thing we will be guaranteed in the Premier League. It feels like the Prem needed a, a season like this, really really yeah. open, um, yeah. not just City running away with it. And at the moment. Um, it, it, it is very, very exciting. I mean, City can still run away with it. You know, we've seen them and John made allusions to their second half performances in seasons. But uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, you guys have both mentioned the bottom three. It, we should say that at the time of recording, there are really, really strong reports that Paul Heckingbottom's going to be uh, sacked at, at Sheffield United. Perhaps uh, not a surprise. They've got the worst attacking record, the worst defensive record. They just lost 5-0 uh, to the team that was previously bottom of the table. And now they are currently bottom of the table. So if this is to happen uh, before... Or, uh, the Blades take on uh, Liverpool in midweek it wouldn't be a really big shock would it? No not n- not at all not at all I mentioned it last week on the podcast Phil um, that if there were anybody you know I think we had five sackings at this point last season and I was saying that they'd been given a lot more time due to what Cooper had done um, with Nottingham Forest um, whereas Leeds United, unfortunately, went through the, the managerial roundabout and it, it didn't help them. So there was a little bit of face shown. And if this is the case, I said hecking bottom because the way they've been conceding goals. And obviously, when you're playing a team that is a, it's a six-pointer, a relegation rival, and you get beat 5-0, and they just looked absolutely shot to bits. Heck, he's my mate. Um, he's, had a, he's had a good stint at, at Sheffield for the job that he's done, but I, unfortunately, I do feel that is the right time because I just, I, I've noticed that it's almost like the players have run out of ideas, and I just see him and Stuart McCall on the sideline kind of scratching their heads. They, they need a lift, and they need it from somewhere, and I think it's, it's, it's inevitable, sadly. Um, but, yep, yeah, there you go. That, that is the, the ruthlessness of being a manager. But yeah, there have been there has been time uh, given, I think, as you yeah. mentioned, to, to managers this season. Because I, obviously, I live in I live and work in Spain and cover Spanish football extensively. And I was looking at this and saying, Paul Heckingbottom's going to be the the first manager to be sacked this season. We've already had about ten managerial sackings in Spain this season. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, people uh, people in the Prem with a little bit more a little bit more patience. Uh, let's go back and discuss um, matters at the uh, towards the top of the table because Newcastle United. Beating Manchester United uh, by a goal to nil. Um, we'll talk about that in, uh, in just a moment. We want to play you a clip, though, uh, from Paul Scholes on Optus Sports live coverage uh, of the game, raising question marks about Manchester United's commitment and, in particular, Marcus Rashford's input. It's quite damning. Here's what he had to say. Right then, Paul, which <laughs> adjectives are you choosing to describe that Manchester United performance? Rubbish. <laughs> They're, they're, they're a poor football team, let's mean that, aren't they? Too many lazy players on the football team. You, you can't get away with that. Marcus Rashford and Ganacho, they don't even run back, they walk back. And you, you can see the joy that, that Newcastle are getting down both sides. You feel a little bit sorry for fullbacks. What are they supposed to do? They're two against one every time, and nobody's telling these players, these are young players. Marcus Rashford, Rashford's attitude, I thought, was shocking. And, w- and when he gets taken off, he starts throwing his gloves. What, what, what is he surprised about? I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand what what is he thinking he should still be on the pitch for. He was he was causing the team more harm than good. Now Marcus last year was brilliant and he's got ability, there's no doubt about that. But when you decide to walk back like he is doing, and he comes off and behaves like that, I don't think it's good for the team. And he's one of the most experienced players now. He's a player that these players are looking up to, Mane's looking up to, and Ganacho's looking up to him. 
So Paul Scholes there, speaking, speaking about Manchester United, but in particular about Marcus Rashford. And what he's saying there, John, he's not necessarily having a go at him at his, for his lack of attacking output, and his numbers are way, way down on what they were last season. But it's his defensive or lack of defensive uh, work in the, in the team which he feels is, is hurting uh, Man United. Yeah, well, all due respect to Paul Scholes, I actually feel as though the, the problem with Marcus Rashford in this game was that he was expected to do too much of possession. Um, we've seen from Eric Ten Hag across his time Manchester United, he wants to play quite an intense form of uh, of out of possession football where they actually win the ball high up the field. They're very aggressive, um, and and there's lots of uh, lots of running to be done by, including the the wide forwards. And I think um, you know that's that has resulted in high turnovers. And and when you're a, a team like Manchester United, the players that they have. You want to try and get into these sort of transitional moments where you're able to attack space at speed, uh, and that seems to be the the sort of approach that, that Eric Ten Hag has lent into. Um, part and parcel of that is that you have to get all of your players running about um, and and you know helping uh, helping from the front. And what we saw so much from uh, from that game against Newcastle was uh, periods where Marcus Rashford was in the fullback area, having to help out defensively. And I think the the problem there is that you know if you do get the ball back and you're able to get it forward um Rashford has a huge amount of space to cover in order to get near the goal uh, to to score those those um those really um dangerous chances that that he generates through just ball progression himself so uh, yeah i i can understand why uh, a manchester united fan in 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 Paul Scholes would would be focusing on a, a lack of effort, but I actually think that a, a lot of this does come down to the play style that they're that they're um, putting in place. Part of the problem then being that that because Manchester United have to be so uh, aggressive defensively with their with their wide forwards that actually that you don't give your wide forwards enough chance to actually do the attacking parts that you you know is their primary role. I've got to say I think it was even highlighted more so, John, when you've got Almiron and Anthony Gordon. Yeah. who are able to do it and have been doing it all season under Eddie Howe, where they've, they've been helping out the defenders, uh, the full-backs. I mean, this time it was Livermento and, and Trippier. They've gone and doubled up when they've needed to, but as soon as Newcastle have got the ball, they've gone and gone in high and wide positions, and then they've drifted inside when Livermento or Trippier has gone to join in. They've, they've, they were just full of energy. And I remember speaking to... Um, uh, Craig Bellamy, the Burnley assistant, after Burnley played Newcastle United, and what he what he was saying after the game, he said the high intensity runs that I've just seen on the board um, from Newcastle United's players, as opposed to ours, we are nowhere near the level that they are at. Um, and this was before, obviously, the the injury started kicking in. But again, you could see it in this game. And I, what I, what the difference is, I see the players at Newcastle United that have an understanding of the tactics and the game mentality that they are are told to go and play. They understand it as a, and they want to go and work for the manager. And I say in Manchester United that players are scratching their heads, playing in different positions, not understanding their roles and responsibilities and not giving a crap about what the manager's saying because there was an incident where Martial looked over at the bench. Ten Hag's having a go at him. The Both their arms are up in the air going like, what am I meant to be doing? And then when I saw Martial basically brush the manager off and give him like a, a flick away as much as say, Foof, what like, you know, stuff you... That is absolutely horrendous, and I just feel that Man United is toxic, and I think they've got to do something quickly because if you think it's there was the incident with Maguire, there was the incident with Sancho, and now ex-players like like Scalzi and Roy Keane are coming out and individually naming and shaming some of the players that was probably the best player last season and seasons before with the goals that he scored. Something's happened, and they are mentally drained because I know Rashford is very close with Sancho, and they feel like there's been injustice done behind the scenes here. So, um. I think it's only going to get worse for Man United. 
And yet, coming into this game, Man United were if one of the form teams in yeah. the Premier They'd won yeah. five of the last six games in the Premier League. It's, it's very, very strange. It's, like, it's crazy, Phil, because they've, they've been playing pretty bang average football, but they've got results from it. And it was a shock to see where they were. But when you dissect it and you have a look at it, the actual game plan, and the fans will tell you, it's been, I've, I've watched them five times this season, it's been absolutely toilet to watch. And somehow they've managed to get away to play it. They've, they've been played off the park at times. And you just look, how have they managed to get away with that? And it's it's basically just what you're doing. You're just sandpaping over the cracks that are appearing. And he's tarnished it very well. At some point, this is going to implode. And I feel like this game has highlighted where Man United are at. Uh, do the underlying metrics, John, uh, um, show that Manchester United have been absolutely toilet? Yes, so they, yes, they do. Um, I mean, in terms of their attacking and, and defensive numbers, they are not good. They're very much mid-table. Um, there, there is a a metric out there called expected points which takes a lot of the underlying numbers and tries to work out the the, the likelihood of you picking up a certain amount of points in each game and according to that metric uh, um, and most models that I've seen Manchester United are in the bottom half of the table so yeah there's been a few situations where they've picked up you know single goal wins against teams like Luton and and, and Burnley uh, we've already mentioned the Brentford result where a couple of uh, a brace from McTominay in, in injury time sort of turned that one around as well and I think that you know they've been they've been Dicing with death, I think, a lot of the time in, in, in games against teams towards the bottom half of the table. And I think they've got a run now where they've got some tough fixtures and we're going to start seeing um, those poor poor performances actually translate into poor results from here on in. Uh, you mentioned their upcoming fixtures. They've got a, an, an interesting one, a really interesting one uh, in midweek. There is a full round of uh, Premier League matches, by the way, which you lucky people on Optus Sport uh, can watch uh, in midweek. It's Manchester United against Chelsea, uh, which is a, a fantastic looking fixture. And they've also got to go to, uh, to Liverpool uh, before Christmas uh, as well. So there are some tough games coming up for, uh, for a Manchester United. Uh, they're five points off a Champions League spot, by the way, uh, at the moment. And speaking of the Champions League, they've got to play Bayern Munich uh, as well um, in uh, in a few days' time, so it doesn't get any easier Phil, for uh, Eric Ten Hag's men. You've just mentioned a team that they've got to play coming up with Christmas, Liverpool. I have to say the the result, the four three win over Fulham, the way that they yes. managed to do it, absolutely. I the chances they created. Um, I mean, when you score three at Anfield, you think you're going to win. So Fulham will be coming away thinking, what's going on? But, you know, 20, 25 plus chances that, that Liverpool created, the way they did it, the, the resolve they showed, I've got to say, man, uh, uh, what, what a performance it was, uh, even though it was close. I mean, it's entertaining to watch for the neutral anyway, but I have to say, Liverpool, they look like they are, they, they were in, they're in mean machine mode. I've, they, I had to give them a shout out because it's you know we we do. There's a lot of Liverpool fans in Australia. I've give Klopp a bit of stick in the past for his um, sideline antics, but my word, he's got this team ticking. And yes, they conceded, but they found a way. And Trent Alexander-Arnold yet again, absolutely superb. Uh, you know the last team to win a league game at Anfield. Um... Leeds United, isn't it? Uh, yes, it was Somerville's, yeah. uh, Somerville's goal late at Anfield. I was there. I, I got out early before I got chinned because <laughs> I was celebrating. Well, that was 14 months ago. Yeah. Um, they've, been, uh, they've been really, really strong at home uh, this season. They've been scoring loads of goals as well at Anfield. And yeah, mean machine mode is how Bridges described them. They do look, there is something ominous about them, um, Liverpool, and, and the fact that not, okay, people are talking about them, but maybe not as much as they should be, John. I don't know, in terms of a title run. 
Yeah, I mentioned it before. It's, it's sort of a case of one of the most exciting attacks in world football um, matched with questions about them defensively. And um, I think in the past, look, we've, we've, we're coming out of an era of, of Manchester City dominance where you have to be good at everything in order to challenge them. And I think that's why it's, this season is so interesting because if Man City do drop off, then maybe we're back into the, the realms of possibility where you can win the league by having a, a really overpowered attack and, and maybe not as good a defence. Or, uh, as we've, we've been talking with Arsenal, like a really strong defence and maybe not an overpowered attack. So uh, I think that that's another reason why the, the City sort of slight decline might, might make this a, a really fun season because I think we've, we've just been, we've been Man City-pilled recently into thinking that in order to win the Premier League, you have to be perfect at everything. And we're, we're starting to see teams now just really find their upside in one area and that being enough to carry them towards the top of the table. And Liverpool have got three. Liverpool have got very three very easy games to come. Sheffield United, Crystal Palace and Man United. So there's nine points on the board just before Christmas. Nice and easy. <laughs> uh, yes, one for, the, uh, one for the Liverpool fans listening, uh, <laughs> of whom there are many, I'm, I'm sure. As we mentioned, uh, there is a full round of uh, Premier League fixtures coming up in midweek, including Arsenal visiting Luton, Liverpool visiting uh, Sheffield United, Manchester United against Chelsea, Spurs against West Ham, and Aston Villa hosting a uh, Manchester City side who are without Rodri, uh, who is uh, suspended. So uh, uh, some really, really interesting and tasty and exciting looking fixtures coming up uh, in midweek. All right, let's move on and uh, head to Spain and discuss what's going on in La Liga, uh, the big game of the weekend. Uh, By the way, I don't know if you guys are aware but there's a bit of a uh, bit of a marketing drive from La Liga. We are now supposed to refer to Barcelona against uh, Atletico Madrid as El Super Duelo, the Super Duel, a bit like El Clasico, but now it's called El Super Duelo. So I just I'm, I'm on a one man push to try and make sure everybody calls it this. <laughs> I doubt it's going to happen, but I'll, I'll do my best. Anyway, Barcelona win the Super Duelo by a goal to nil against Atleti, and it had to be João Felix to score the goal. The man who is on loan from Atletico uh, Madrid, the man who in the summer desperately professed his desire to leave Atletico Madrid and, and join Barcelona. And he scored. It was a really nice goal as well. And a, uh, a pretty, pretty uh, vigorous celebration uh, as well, standing on the, uh, the hoarding and uh, looking at the crowd. He didn't kiss the badge, but he wasn't far <laughs> off. He's still on loan from Atleti as well. Uh, but he... Um, never really quite worked out for him for, uh, at Atletico Madrid. And I've got a feeling that... Um, yeah, we might not see him again. Phil, do, you, do you blame sure. him for celebrating, really, because of the way that Simeone has treated him? I mean, if if any <laughs> Atletico fan begrudges that, because I, I, I'm a big fan of his. They do, they do, Bridgie. Do they? Tell you that. they do, yes. yes. <laughs> well, he's got to go back with a crash helmet on and he's got to go there. But I feel the way that he was trapped with Simeone, he had a go at Chelsea, didn't didn't quite work out for him. And to do that against his old club, it was in, inevitable. I think, um, you know, I, I scored... When I when I left Sunderland, um, I scored for Leeds United against against Sunderland. When I left Leeds, I scored for Carlisle against my old team. It it just seems that something seems to happen, you know. And um, for him to do that, I was chuffed a bit. Speak, and I think the the goal itself was absolutely magnificent. The dink, because you know, All Black is a a, a world class goalkeeper, uh, and the way that he had the endeavour to get there, the little dink, and it's it's moments like that when you when you score this. I think the occasion got to him. Um, and when he got on the Hordens, I just thought, yeah, fair play. Yeah. And to get the winning goal, I thought it was justification for him personally um, because of the way that he'd been trapped by Simeone. Not the fans, um, I'd, I'd let it go, because I think they're still they're, they're going to hate him now, but I think they still still had a lot of fondness from him because of what he's done for them. 
Um, you mentioned the, uh, the the goal he scored, and it is actually a very interesting. The finish is fantastic, but yeah. in order to get to the ball, he has to get to get to the ball first and beat uh, Nao Molina in, a, in an individual duel. And those were the kind of things that he was not doing uh, at Atletico Madrid, and he was super extra motivated uh, for this game. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a terrific goal, John. Yeah, yeah, and a touch of the Jude Bellingham's about his celebration as well, wasn't, uh-huh. wasn't it? Um, I think, but yeah, really interesting watching Barcelona evolve under under Xavi because we just done a, we just done a podcast at Tifo looking at the three seasons that Xavi's been at, at Barcelona, and each season has been very different from a from a tactical point of view, uh, and this season hasn't gone as, as swimmingly as as he might have light so far so I think that you know everyone was touting Atletico as, as being the form team who are actually going to pull off of the title challenge this is a, a really important result I think from from that point of view for Barcelona to to show that even though they've they've drifted off the top of the table and uh, and it, it's looking more like Girona who are going to be t- challenging Real Madrid at the top of the table um, when it when it comes to the crunch Barcelona can still pull out these kind of results as well well can, can I just say used to it's time to shine because the team you've just mentioned there, Jerome, I do believe that, John, you did a, an article or a tactical analysis on them. And Phil has talked them up for a long, long time on this podcast and was basically saying, watch out. The, the, you know, these, these are the real deal. Uh, the hashtag is the hashtag is always watch Girona, always watch Girona because they provide unbelievable yeah. uh, entertainment. And this season they did it again. This this weekend rather they did it again. I don't know if you were doing your homework, Bridger. You probably didn't watch them score twice in the last eight minutes to come from a goal down to beat Valencia two one at home. But they're there again. They're joint top of the table with uh, with Real Madrid. And John can explain to us a little bit how they're doing it. Yeah, just a, a really exciting uh, team to watch, and I think the, the the most surprising thing about them is that you know they made a huge amount of transfers in in the summer. Um, no one expected them to to come out um, playing the the sort of football they did on the basis of the fact that they lost you know important players, but you know. <laughs> Oriel their top Romero. scorer, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. their main defensive midfielder, Oriol Romero, their best centre back in Santi Bueno, all gone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what they've done is they brought in a number of almost rehabilitated a number of players from around Europe. So Daily Blint, everyone knows Daily Blint. Um, but you know, we we thought that he was in his twilight era. Um, let, gets let go by by Bayern Munich, but ends up ends up playing for Girona in this really flexible um, sort of left centre back turning into a left-back uh, position. Um, uh, Eric Garcia, again, a player that, that um, Spanish football fans will know, you know, questions about whether or not he was going to make it at the top level, and, and here he is doing it um, uh, for, for Girona right now. And, yeah, players across the, the pitch who, you know, maybe people didn't expect um, to, to, to turn things around the way they did. Alish Garcia, um, just absolutely bossing it as the pivot player for them. We've got Savio on loan from Troyes, who's just an incredible ball carrier dribbler uh, creative player um Dovbik up front again another player who 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 was like tearing up in Ukraine but like who who thinks that that's going to necessarily translate into being being a, a really dangerous target man in in La Liga so just players across the field fun to watch the the system overall really good to watch as well um a really interesting clip doing the rounds on social media from Michel uh, this this weekend where he was talking about how he's become a lot more pragmatic in terms of um how he gets his teams to defend saying in the past that he would he would have been too aggressive at making them press his his teams press high and and, and aggressively Uh, but now he's realised that he has to protect the team as well he has to think of uh, ways of being able to allow them to press in those aggressive moments as well as drop drop into a more conservative um, uh, situations as well Uh, and obviously that that resulting in in 
a team uh, we, we know about Michel is that he's brought teams up from um, the Segunda into into the top division uh, and and those teams have then dropped straight back down again whereas with what we're seeing with Girona is is um, Michel actually learning how to to negotiate that that um, promotion um, situation and and actually then kicking on from keeping Girona up last season into actually making them a really really um, dangerous outfit this season so yeah um, whether or not they can stay at the top of the table um, you're, you're the expert on Spanish football Phil so I'll leave that one up to you but uh, it's definitely looking like they're going to be there and thereabouts when it comes to Champions League football and I think that's a, a really exciting prospect for, for everyone to, to see them playing in Europe I think they've already secured Champions League football I know it's only match day 15 <laughs> uh, but I, I think and okay, all right. This maybe that's a bit of a wild thing to Whoa. say, but I think you've just done a Brighton. I, you've just done a Brighton <laughs> when I said the title contenders. <laughs> Have I just done a Brighton? Maybe I've just done a Brighton. But they're ten. They're, they're ten points clear, and everything that you've said, uh, John. You know, I completely agree with. And they're ten points clear of fifth. I think they've given themselves such a good chance. We've mentioned Barcelona. We've mentioned Girona. They both meet next Monday at seven a.m. For uh, Optusport viewers, it's going to be a terrific, terrific game. So make sure you watch it. I'm telling everyone, always watch Girona. You've got to watch them away to Barcelona. It's a local derby as well. So uh, it should be, a, should be a terrific game. What do you make of that fixture, Phil? Because uh, when, when Girona played against Real Madrid, it was a bit of a damp squib, squib in the end. Everyone was excited about the, the possibilities. And I think they ended up losing 3-0 in that game. Do you think the same thing might happen here? They did lose 3-0, but actually the opening sort of 20-30 minutes, they created a huge number of chances and things could have gone a little bit differently. It so ended 3-0, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> it did end 3-0, Bridget. And you, and you've got to stick your chances away and you've got to take them. But they created them at least. And that is obviously a very positive thing for, uh, for Michel and, and, and his team. And, and when they... Um, there are a few more games into it now. I think he's got them believing. He's now no longer talking about, OK, we just need to get enough points to, to make sure we don't avoid relegation. That's out the window. They're talking about starting to dream about doing something uh, impressive here. And I think this is a really big game. They go into it without too much pressure, without could, too much could pressure. Could we see them so, do a Leicester City and actually win this, Phil? Listen, we've mentioned the L word on the podcast before. <laughs> uh, everybody's talking about uh, Leicester here in, uh, here in Spain. So, yeah, I mean... It's, it's, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. And if they did do a Leicester, it would be more than a Leicester because I cannot stress enough what a small club Girona are. This is not a traditional footballing nation. This is only, uh, nation, uh, city. This is only their fourth season in La Liga. They're not a traditional La Liga club. They do have the city group. And anyway, we have mentioned this previously on the pod, but um, to go up against the, 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 the giants of Real Madrid and Barcelona and to still be here... Heading towards halfway through the season, they're level on points with Real Madrid. They've almost got, a, they've got the exact same record as Real Madrid. They've scored more goals than Real Madrid, more than goals than anyone in La Liga. So they're just, they're just, they're just an incredible uh, side. So, uh, looking forward to seeing that game against uh, against Barcelona. Um, uh, elsewhere in La Liga this weekend, Real Madrid beat uh, Granada by two goals to nil. Jude Bellingham didn't score, so we're not going to talk about it at all. Um, <laughs> uh, not, not really, but it wasn't actually a particularly um, uh, exciting game. Not a huge amount happened, but Real Madrid got the win against a side um, who were considerably inferior to them. Phil, we have to talk about the socket incident, please. Can you just give us a little bit of high, an explanation on that? Because I've got a story from my daughter and her Walls End girls team about these socks. So, yeah, go on. Okay. Wolves and goals team and, and, and Real Madrid cutting holes in their socks. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, well, uh, Brian Diaz uh, scored for Real Madrid against, uh, against Granada and he revealed that he's copying Jude Bellingham by cutting holes in his socks. So they're not, they're not that tight around the calves. And he scored this week. Jude Bellingham didn't score this week. Did your, did your daughter score this weekend as well? She Bridget? didn't. But about three or four weeks ago, she was getting serious cramp in the calves. So I got her onto the side of the field and I just got the scissors and just give the, the socks a little bit of a snip so that the tension wasn't on the calves and put three holes in the back of the socks and um, I was told by my daughter that I'm an absolute idiot why have you done that I look so stupid and a week later I showed her Jude Bellingham and everything is oh it's, it's the in thing to do now oh it's fantastic you're the best dad in the world for doing that yeah well there you go it's amazing how <laughs> it just takes one superstar to be doing it but when a father does it you're not seen as a superstar so I'm just pleased yes. that we ha- we had to highlight that because um yeah I thought it was an interesting story. It is, but obviously maybe I know, I don't know if there are any sock manufacturers listening yeah. to us. You're doing something wrong, lads, yeah. Yeah. because you've got all these players who've got, you know, problems with their socks, so uh, maybe you need to uh, rethink things there. Um all right, enough sock chat. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's move on and uh, talk about the, uh, the draw for Euro 2024, which we had, we had it live on uh, Optus Sport. The tournament, of course, is going to be live on uh, Optus Sport in uh, June 2024, as well as the playoffs for the competition in, in March 2024, all live on Optus Sport. So you know where to go to see the biggest tournament uh, of the summer uh, and the second biggest tournament as well. Copa, Copa America is on Optus Sport as well. So we've got, we've got the summer covered uh, for, uh, for football. The groups then. Uh, let's start with um, start with England, who are in Group C. They've got Serbia, Denmark, and Slovenia on paper. John, this 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 would look like a. a it's, how can I say this without being disrespectful? It's a group that England would expect to get out of. Yeah, I think so, and I think you know that when it comes to tournament football. Um, momentum is so important so I think if you have a comfortable group to to sort of even if you you have to uh, work your way through a, a couple of teething problems um, this sort of group isn't going to present them any problems in terms of the qualifications so I think Southgate et al will be looking at this group and thinking yeah this is perfect this is just what we need um, just get into our rhythm get out of the group and then and then start worrying about the, the knockout stages after that. Yeah, I think I, it's a very interesting group. You know, I think that Denmark will be relishing the chance to get revenge over England from the, you know, we robbed them at Wembley in the semi-final 2020, so they need no more incentive. And you know, a strike of it, it'd be hoping that, you know, I think it's, um, what Alex, I'm a big fan of Mitrovic. Serbian striker. I think the manager just be hoping that he hasn't gone away and away, you know, for the, for the money, and he, he'll be underdone because of what he's missing out in the Premier League as opposed to playing the Saudi Arabian League. They've always got a chance. Um, I think Slovenia make up the numbers in that group, but Serbia and Denmark, it's they're, you know, they're no pushovers, and you're saying that England should get out of this this group. Yes, they should, but it's um, you're in the Euros. Anything can happen. So I was when I, when I saw the group draw. I was a little bit, I wasn't as excited as I thought I might have been. You know, I was kind of going, oh, hang on a minute. This could be a little bit of a, this could be a little bit of a stuttery start. So we'll remain to be seen. I'm hoping that they can get through. Um, but yeah, watch out for Denmark and Serbia. Um, they, they, they're, they're there for a reason. Uh, group C isn't the group of death. Um, we're no. not entirely sure what is the group of death because Group B is Spain, Croatia, Italy, and Albania, which looks you know yeah. pretty um, pretty dangerous. And then Group D has Netherlands, France, and Austria, and then the playoff winner um, from uh, from the uh, A path. So uh, that could be really dangerous as well. well. Well, give us your take on Spain then. Come on then, because that is not an easy that is not an easy group. 
It's not an easy group at all. Uh, they've got recent experience playing against Croatia and Italy because they're the two sides that they uh, they beat in the uh, final four of the uh, Nations League uh, this uh, this summer. So they beat Italy two uh, one. Um, with a late goal uh, from Corsello, who scored a couple of minutes before the end. So that wasn't necessarily a particularly easy game. And then they beat Croatia on penalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, it finished uh, It finished nil-nil. So they've got recent experience of playing these two teams and neither of them uh, was easy. Uh, the, uh, the papers here have said uh, uh, they've, you know, Spain straight into group death, group of death. So they're pretty sure that this is about as, about as bad a draw as it could possibly have been. And... Um, yeah, they're, 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 they're quite sort of generally quite pessimistic anyway about the national team. This is not a, a country or, or, a, or a national press that necessarily gets behind the, uh, the, uh, the national team too much. And yeah, it's, it's a really difficult draw for, uh, for Spain. I would expect them to get through because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, the third, best third place teams also go through as well to the, um, to, the, to the knockout stages. So you've got to do really, really badly, I think, to get eliminated from the group stages, right? <laughs> Yeah, we're expecting any Rodri um, post-match interviews where he talks about how they turned <laughs> up to play football and, um, and and yet despite that they lost, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, R- Rodri's um, not, not, not backwards and coming forward when he says <laughs> those kind of things. So, uh, But actually, speaking of Rodri, he's possibly the most important player for Spain. He might be the best Spanish footballer around at the moment. And the figure of Rodri has just been growing and growing and growing. And now he's just uh, number one in terms of the midfield, which is a pretty tasty midfield with Rodri, Pedri, and then it would have probably been Gavi. Uh, but because of his injury, he's going to be out. So there's a, there's a space up for grabs there. But yeah, Spain... Are contenders. They are maybe in the group just below. I would say France, Portugal, yeah. and maybe England. Are, are we? Are we? Are we? Yeah, that those three. I've just seen the French, France, and uh, France and Netherlands in that group with Austria, and then obviously the winners from the um, the playoff. Potentially, it looks like it could be Wales. I'm hoping it is going to be Wales. I want to see them in as well, but. I just can't see anybody, and this is coming from an Englishman. You want to win? I can't see anybody touching France. They, they've, they've got something, and if they can deliver and keep their off the field antics to one side, and keep everything in house, um, I can't see them being stopped. I have to say them going through this. And when you look at the other the other groups as well, I was looking down at the Group A, Belgium. I think they've got a, a great chance of, of getting through that. You never know what they're going to do. Major tournaments have always been the, the, the ones that have threatened with their with their um, superstars. They've never been able to deliver. They've had a lot of in-house shenanigans going on as well. And then you look at Group F, Portugal, Turkey, Czech Republic, and the winners of Group C. Portugal, they'll just go about their business as always. Um, they're going to be, I think they're going to be in the mix as well. Um, so it's going to be a very, very interesting European tournament i can't wait to be part of it phil and see what happens because i've i'm an englishman i've i've said many times when i've been working with optus sport that it's coming home it's never come home the lioness has brought it home so um i'm not going to get carried away with the england men's team because there is some absolute powerhouses going up against each other in the latter groups of this tournament and everybody anybody's capable of winning it yeah, I mean, I'm I, I'm a Scotland fan. I follow Scotland internationally, so um, yeah, a very different experience of, of following <laughs> the international game. But uh, I, I think a fun fun group for for Scotland. It's nice to have the the opening game of the tournament against Germany. Um, that that will be a, a nice um, match to to remember. And a tough group really for for Scotland with Switzerland and Hungary in there as well. Um, you've already mentioned Phil that the the best third place uh, teams in groups are going to go through, um, and you kind of want from that point of view to have 
just a sitter of a team in there where you can say, well, you know, we'll get one good result in and then see what we can pick up elsewhere. And um, yeah, I, I'm not sure that I, Switzerland, I guess, are the, are, the, are the other team in this group and um, they're going to be a tough tough prospect as well. So um, yeah, it, it's um, these are, this is what you play for, I guess, when, when you're going through the qualification well, John, round. You want to... You must be delighted at what um, Clark and John Carver have done and achieved with Scotland. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I think a lot of the credit has to go down to the, the to, to the, um, the the new league system that they've that they've put in place with the Nations League because uh, it just allows teams that uh, you know usually aren't as competitive to to play in competitive fixtures yeah. on the run up to these tournaments, and that's part of the reason why Scotland are looking so so good right now. And um, yeah, it, it, again, it's, this this is what you this is what you go through the qualifications for. You want to challenge yourself in this kind of group. So uh, from that point of view, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So who wins it, boys? Well, that was the yeah. That's the question, <laughs> isn't it? Um, I, I, it's very difficult to look past uh, France for me, just because of the sheer talent. But then I go sort of man for man through the Portugal squad, and I think that's an, an insanely talented squad as well. And I've no longer got any faith that England can win because they've come so close that they haven't been able to do it. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm almost discounting them, almost, even though they they, they really um, should have had a international trophy with this with this incredible group so who wins it um i'll say france yeah but you know John? With, without too much conviction you know england england are going to have to win at some point i mean with this crop of players um <laughs> you know it, they they can't keep finding increasingly creative ways of not winning international tournaments so as a scotland fan it brings me no joy to say that that i'm fully expecting england to to, I'm not going to say bring it home. I can't. I can't but, bring myself to say those words. But um, you know, I think this this could be it. This could be the. I'm one. very close to the border where I live, John, and <laughs> I will never be saying Scotland are going to be bringing it home because I don't want them to get anywhere near. I've said I'm delighted that they qualified, mate. I'm hoping they get smashed every single game. Don't get me wrong. And I'm hoping that my heart's telling me England, but I'm going to be. I'm going to go out. I'm going to say France or Portugal will get the get the job done in the Euros. But John, from an analytical perspective, which team would you expect to have? Which team do you think has the best sort of uh, eleven and the best group to, to to go to go and lift this trophy? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because uh, you know, international football is such a different beast to to the domestic game, and uh, I, it, so much of it comes down to what, as I said already, like momentum, getting getting the players in the best sort of uh, state of mind, but also in this a system which broadly works mm. um, without a huge amount of time to train that system. So. Um, France, I guess France have been doing it for a long time now. They've they've got the they've got both the the wherewithal to be able to win these kind of tournaments, but also the experience of having done that. Um, and when you have players like when you have a player like Kylian Mbappe, who is is, is just a clutch a clutch clutch player, as we saw in the in the World Cup final, despite the fact that didn't end up going their way, they're just yeah. such a dangerous prospect to, to to face. And I think England, I mean, pound for pound, the England that England squad is is incredible now. Um, and maybe maybe familiarity makes us a little bit sort of numb to how how good it is. But when you consider the the possibilities of like the midfield combinations that they have, the the you know Harry Kane, the, the best nine in the world right now for me, absolutely tearing up in in Germany. Um, he'll be well he'll be well placed to to absolutely tear up that tournament for for those reasons. And 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 then and, uh, just a litany of players around around them that are always going to be difference makers. I think it, it, John, John, it sounds like you're saying it's coming home. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I I I genuinely think that this England squad has has never been better, and um, they've come close on a couple of occasions. It's it's inevitable that they're going to have they're going to win something at some point. So yeah, if they can beat France, they can they can beat France. They nearly did that in the World Cup. Could 
could have gone either way that game and that's tournament football you know at the end of the day um, these things just sort of topple one way or the other and uh, there's going to be a, a point even, even by the, the law of large numbers that, that England are going to get there and, and get this thing done you heard it, Bridget. You said it's coming home. <laughs> did, you said it's coming I'm, home. I'm smiling. No, not, not in, I am yeah, smiling. Yeah. I'm very excited. And that's coming from a, a man that's in, in touch with his, his Scottish borders. I'm just absolutely <laughs> buzzing with that. And um, John's yeah. just lost a lot of followers from Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, that was the, the analyst's way of saying it's coming yeah. home, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we I'm change awesome. my name for this episode? Can <laughs> <laughs> I go under, the, under an anonymous name? Brilliant. Okay. Uh, I- well, I-, I follow Greece uh, in terms of international football, and uh, we're uh, we're in the playoffs. Uh, we've got a, we've got to come through against Kazakhstan. Hopefully, we beat Kazakhstan and then Georgia or Luxembourg, and then straight into a a, a diplomatically interesting group alongside Turkey and Portugal and uh, Czechia as well. So uh, hopefully Greece make it through. I know we've got a big Greek community in Australia as well, yes, so that'd be good for huge. everyone. Uh, and Greece yeah, have yeah, already yeah. already brought it home once before, so you know. Yeah, they did in magnificent fashion in 2004. <laughs> shall we? Shall we? We could do a whole podcast of that if you want. Joe. I, I was, time, I was but... at Hull City on preseason on a preseason um, base camp altitude train in Bormio in Italy, and we watched every single game because we had um, Stelios Janakopoulos involved with the Ooh. Greek national team, and it was fantastic to see him do so well. And we had a when we got back to the to, to uh, obviously to to Hull. Um, with Phil Brown. <laughs> uh, sorry, Bolton Wanderers, one of them out. When we got back to Bolton Wanderers, Sam Allison, and Phil Brown, it was fantastic. We put on this Greek-themed dinner and lunch for Stelios' Opa. arrival with his, um, with, his, with his medal. And he came in and it was just brilliant because everybody loves Sam Allardyce, whereas Phil Brown, it was a bit, you know, he was the show pony. The lads were a little bit thinking, oh, what's he going to do? And it was great to see him stand up on the table with two plates and smash them together to celebrate Stelios' arrival. Um, and he cut all his hands open. Stelios said, we have special plates for that, boss. <laughs> <laughs> so tremendous. Um, we, we do. We do have special plates. Yes. So don't try that at home, kids. Yeah. Don't try that at home. But yeah, there we go. Listen, we're just about um, uh, running out of time on today's uh, uh, Optus Sport uh, Football Podcast. A big thank you uh, to uh, Bridgie and uh, John McKenzie for joining us uh, this week. Adios, guys. Adios. Can I just leave you one more little carrot, please? I've just come. I forgot to mention something. Yes. Pep Guardiola against Ange Postacoglu match. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to leave one out there with you, right? And for everybody to to have a think about and get it on socials. Ange Postacoglu is part of being part of the City Group, obviously with the Marinos, and obviously went to Celtic then. But the City Group have seen what he's all about. I reckon that this Premier League season, they're monitoring him, and that result will concrete the move when Pep Guardiola decides a time is enough at Manchester City, Postacoglu will be the Manchester City manager. There you go. Wow. Big call. Just remember that. Remember this one for a year time or two years time, all right? Okay. Next time you've got something like that to say, don't say at the end of the podcast. Well, it's good to get it out at the end because now people will be going, oh, socials, let's get straight on it. (laughs) All right. Remember what Bridgie said then. Um, (laughs) Thanks. Thanks very much, guys. And um, look forward to uh, doing another podcast soon. A reminder that every game of the Premier League and La Liga is live only on Optus Sport. And we have a midweek round of Premier League this week. Villa hosting City, United playing Chelsea, Spurs and West Ham going head to head. We've got DFP Pokal 2. And this weekend it's stacked with the Premier League, La Liga, WS. Sell all the details on the Optus Sports app. Thanks for your company on the Optus Sport Football Podcast, and we'll see you next time.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 